Let us stand. Today's scripture reading comes from the book of Hebrews, chapter, uh, chapter 10, verse 24 and 25. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. This is the reading of God's word. I know we didn't really have announcements today, uh, just but what I do want to quickly share as a reminder that there is both a branch meeting and also a day spring Bible study time at 2.30 today. So I wanted to just put that out there as a reminder. Uh, let me pray for us before I get into this passage. Let's pray. Father, we thank you and we praise you. We continuously worship you. And as we take this time to just delve into your scriptures, Father, we pray that we would again be reminded of who we are, but also who you are. And we pray that as we are continuously just amazed by you, that we will continue to seek to worship you, to love the body of Christ, and we'll continue to be faithful to you in all that we do. We thank you and we pray you bless this time. And in Jesus' name we pray, amen. I think that's my son. He's telling me he'll preach the word. <laughs> so today, uh, we're going to be continuously talking about community. Uh, I think we've been on community for a while, and uh, titled it Community in Action. And this is a, a pretty famous passage in Hebrews 10. And as we look at this passage, I want to really think about, again, what it means for us to be in community. I know we've been talking about community for a while, and I hope that even though we do that, that we'll continue to be blessed thinking about the kind of community that the, the Lord wants us to have uh, here at church. And this passage, you know, before we get into verse 24, really is a reminder. Uh, it's an amazing passage about how we have the confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Christ. And it's just a reminder of how we have assurance of faith that we can draw near to God. And so we see these beautiful things and about his faithfulness, assurance of our salvation, how we are confident to enter all this good stuff because of Christ. And then we see a shift in the passage and it talks about community. Uh, verse 24 says, let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. And then verse 25 says, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. And so today, as we look at this passage, I wanted to think about, well, again in this passage, what does it mean for us to be a community. What does it mean for us to be a community that worships God, that loves one another? And so there's really four things that I wanted to say today. I know it's usually three-point sermon. Uh, sorry, I try to make it three, but four just seem to work better. But they shouldn't be long points, so hopefully it won't take too long. But four things. First, we're called to meet together. Second, we're called to consider one another. Thirdly, we're considered to stir up and encourage one another. And lastly, we're called to love and good works. So meet together, consider one another, stir up and encourage one another, and lastly, we're called to love and good works. So just kind of diving right in, we're called to meet together. If you look at the passage today, it says in verse 25, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of somebody encouraging one another. Now it's pretty, pretty straightforward, it seems pretty simple that we're called to meet together. I think one of those things, right? If you want to be a community, 
you want to be united together in Christ, and you want to really thrive and grow together, obviously, you have to meet together. Uh, that thing's any relationship, any community, any brotherhood, any sisterhood. If you want to grow, if you want to thrive, if you want to you know, be intimate, if you want to have any kind of relationship, you have to meet together. It's nice when we see friends that we haven't seen in years and you know, we reconnect, but if you really want that relationship to grow and thrive, right, you have to meet. And so obviously in church, especially, we do need to meet together. But let me also say this. It's not just about meeting together physically. Obviously, it's important. That's kind of the baseline. But the question then will become, what do we do when we meet together? Is the time together quality or just quantity? Right? One of the things I had to learn when I actually got married was that distinction. Right? Uh, my, my wife and I would spend so much time together, and she would say to me, we spend a lot of time together, but we don't have quality time together. And I realized my definition of quality, her definition of quality was different. My time of definition of quality was just being next to each other. It could be watching television, right? It could be us doing our own thing separately. But I just felt like as long as we're together, this is quality, this is great. And she pointed out to me, that is not quality. Quality is when we're more intimate, right? when we can foster mutual understanding and sense of belonging, and we can really talk about what's going on in our hearts. And at first I said, no, that's not quality. Quality is just, just being next to each other. But I came to realize, you know, perhaps she was right that I was wrong, and the question I would have is, not only are we, do we need to meet together, but are we meeting together and spending time together that fosters mutual understanding, that fosters a sense of belonging? I think that is important. I think it's great, I know Pastor Francis last week talked about life groups, and he had a whole little presentation, and it was encouraging people in the church to do that, and I think having those kinds of avenues, whether it's formal, whether it's informal, obviously getting together on a Sunday worship service to really worship God and fellowship together, meeting in our community groups, uh, perhaps meeting in a life group, if this is something that you desire to do, and then also meeting informally, you know, as brothers and sisters in Christ. I think these are all things that are encouraged in Scripture where we as a church, as the body of Christ, are called to meet together, not just for the sake of being next to each other, but to actually have intimate time, to grow together in Christ, to have mutual knowledge, to have mutual understanding, mutual service, even recreation, and hopefully, as we're in community, we can even help each other as we point each other to Christ, to transformation, and to change. So firstly, what does it mean to be a community, a Christian community that loves the Lord? We are called to meet together. But in the passage as well, it says, if you look at verse 24, it says, let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. Let us consider. So the second point is we're called to consider one another. Right? First point, we're called to meet together, but we're also called to consider one another. Now, this is important because what it's saying is this. When you meet and when you talk, don't just blurt things out. Don't just say whatever's on your mind because if you want 
to help each other grow, if you want to build each other up, if you want to really get to know each other and continue to worship the Lord together and to be a community that really loves each other, it's saying you have to consider the other person. So for example, I don't know if you've ever seen a counselor, whether it's you know, a therapist, a psychologist, or maybe a pastor who counsels you, or just, you know, whether it's formal counseling, informal counseling, but generally when you are counseling someone, what does the counselor do? Obviously they listen, but one of the things they do is they take notes, right? I don't know if you've ever noticed that, but they, they take notes. Why? Because the person counseling, right, the other person is thinking, I really want to help this brother. I want to help this sister. I want to help them get over their anger. Right? I want to help them get over their anxiety. I want them to learn to forgive. I want them to overcome whatever struggle they're having. And so, in order to really know and to understand, and even outside of the counseling session, to continue to study and think about what we talked about and how it could help this person, what is the counselor doing? They're taking notes. Now, I'm not encouraging you when you talk to your church members to take notes. So that would be awkward, right? You come to their church, you're eating lunch together, maybe you're sharing, oh, give me one second, let me get a pen and paper, let me write down what you're saying, right? Let me type it on my phone. It's a little awkward. You will probably break the flow of the conversation. But here's what I'm trying to say. When we are talking to one another, when we're sharing with each other, we need to listen. And we need to really consider the other person. What is going on with that person? Right? What are they struggling with? Who are they? What is their situation? What can I actually say to this person that will be helpful? A lot of times, unfortunately, when we talk, we don't do that. We don't think about what the other person is going through. We don't think about who they are. We just, just blur, right? Whatever is on my mind, you say something to me, I say something to you. A lot of times we say the wrong thing, so we end up apologizing. We might even regret what we say, or we find out the things that we say are not helpful at all. And so we're called to consider. Well, how do you consider? Let me give you three, three tips. First, you want to consider the person. What I mean by that is I want to be other-centered. When I'm talking to you, when I'm listening to you, I want to think, who are you? Right? Because... The way you talk to one person might be completely different from the way you talk to someone else, right? I think if you have children, you will probably know that, right? The way you talk to one of your children might be very effective, but if you talk to your other child the same exact way, it's completely ineffective a lot of times. Why? Because they're different people, right? And they respond differently to things. They have different sensitivities. They have different desires. They have different ways of processing, and so as I talk to my brothers and sisters in Christ, I'm considering the person. How can I build you up? How can I be other-centered? How can I think about who you are, how God has created you to be, and how you respond? But also, I want to consider the situation. I want to consider not just the person, but the situation. What are you going through? What is the problem if you have one? What is your struggle at the moment? What is the need? Because what I say to you or maybe what I don't say to you is in large part going to depend upon what you are going through, right? I mean, you know, you could have the same person and maybe on a Monday you crack a joke and they think it's funny. 
Maybe that Friday after a rough week, you crack the same joke, and that person might be very offended by that same joke. And you might say, whoa, why are you so flaky? Or why are you, like, why are you so different? You know, I, I said the same joke on Monday, you laugh, and today you're getting offended. Why? Because their situation is different. What they're going through is different. Uh, one thing I've come to realize over the years, and this is completely stereotypical and generalization, but a lot of brothers tend to be very not intuitive in this matter, I've noticed over the years, right? Where they don't necessarily pick up the cues of what the person's going through. And so what ends up happening is, a lot of the brothers, myself included, we get in trouble, right? Because people don't appreciate some of the things we said, right? Because we don't understand what's going on with that person today as opposed to yesterday. So we want to consider not just the person, but we want to consider the situation. Perhaps consider the problem. What are you going through? Because my words, my actions should be shaped by what you are experiencing in your life. But also, I want to consider the process. Right? I want to consider not just the person and just the problem or the situation, but I want to consider the process. How can I say what I think I should say to you in a way that would actually be a blessing to you. How could I say something, the content, but also the way I say it, in a way that actually would be helpful to you, would actually be a blessing to you? Now, again, these are things that we don't usually do. Right? We meet somebody, we say, hey, how you doing? Maybe we shake hands, we crack a joke, we talk, and maybe if the other person shares something they're going through, we just tend to say, whatever's on our mind, boom, here you go. But how fruitful would it be if, as, you know, as we read in today's passage, if we actually consider the person that I'm talking to? Maybe not physically take notes, but mentally take notes and ask myself, what are you going through? What are your experiences? You know, what is happening in your life? And how can I say words or not say words that actually would be helpful to you? And I think that's something that we're called to do. So we're called not just to meet together, but we're also called to consider one another in our community. We're, we're called to think about the people we're meeting with. Think about the people we're speaking with to love them in that way. But thirdly, we're called to stir up and to encourage, right? The passage today says, let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. So we meet, we consider, and then we stir up and we encourage. Now, this is important. These are actually very different. Stir up here, really in the Greek, it means to provoke or maybe even irritate. And so you might think, well, that sounds negative, right? I mean, you might actually think, you know, I'm good at provoking, right, or irritating. But here, obviously, it's in, a, in a positive sense, it's talking, about, it's talking about sharply confronting the other person. Right? So the encouraging is more coming alongside and blessing, but the the stirring up to love and good works means sharply confronting, even provoking, perhaps even irritating. And really what it's talking about here is accountability, right? Stir up and encourage. It's talking about stirring up first. It means to confront, to speak into someone's life, to really hold someone accountable. Now, you might think, well, that's, that's not pleasant. 
But if we are called to be a community that really loves the Lord, that really wants to grow together in Christ, it does mean that we are called to hold each other accountable. And it means at times, even if it might not feel pleasant to the person speaking, or even to the person receiving, it means at times we need to confront and to even you know, expose and to share about a sin someone might be struggling with, a weakness someone might be struggling with, and to really help lead the other person back to where God wants them to be. It's called accountability. Now, to be honest, I think most of us don't necessarily like accountability. Uh, I think of most of us, the idea of accountability sounds great, right? The idea of you know, having somebody in my life who speaks into my life sounds great until it actually happens. Right? I remember you know, many times in my life where I'll be like, I want accountability. I even pray, Lord, I want some brothers that can hold me accountable. I'll share about it maybe in a prayer meeting. And then when a brother comes into my life and says, let me, let me tell you what's going on with you. Let me really point out to you, I get offended. I'm like, don't talk to me. You don't know me, right? You don't know my heart. And that's kind of the attitude we often have. But what's really clear in Scripture is we need people to speak into our lives. And really what I'm saying is I want you to give me what I need, not necessarily what I want, right? I want you to give me what I need, and not necessarily what I want. Because here's the problem. We all know we're sinners. I'm a sinner, you're a sinner, and I think all of us here would say, I know that, I'm a sinner in need of a savior. However, the biggest flaws that we often have, the biggest sins that we have, the things that might wreck our lives are typically the ones that we minimize, that we rationalize, and a lot of times they're the ones that we're blind to, right? The biggest sins that we have, often we deceive ourselves and we can't even see it. We can't even acknowledge that they're sins. This I realized, at least in my life, is where I think marriage is great. I have a wife who has no problem stirring up and pointing out some of the flaws and the sins in my life. And I'm gonna be honest, at times it's not pleasant to hear things about me that are sinful, things about me that are weaknesses and sins, things about me that are not good things when she points them out to me and she calls me out and she confronts me lovingly and yet sternly at times. At that moment, I'm hearing it. My pride is hurt. I'm thinking, you know, I'm a pastor, right? <laughs> I try to live a certain life for the Lord and then I hear these things and, you know, it, it hurts. But then I realize I need to hear these things. Because it's truth. She's speaking truth into my life. She's stirring up. She's even provoking. She's sharply confronting me with the sins that I have. But what is it doing? It is making me now actually look at these sins that I didn't even know were there or I thought wasn't a big deal. And it's making me bring that to the Lord. And it's causing me to repent. And it's causing me to obviously, hopefully, grow in those areas of my life. Now, obviously, our spouses can do that for us, but really, we're called in a church. Not only have our spouses do that, but to have our brothers and our sisters who love us, again, not out of condemnation or judgment, but out of love. When I see my brother or sister caught in a sin, and it's, they're, you know, they're having, they don't see it, 
They don't know how to get out of it. At times, I'm called to confront and to stir up that person so they could, it could lead to repentance, to love, and to good works. But not only stir up, but we also are called to encourage. So that's the other side of it. We're called to stir up, at times confront the person of the sins that they're struggling with, to sh- kind of show them their blind spots, lovingly correct them, but then we're also called to encourage. And this word really means to come alongside, right? To be compassionate, to be empathetic, and to support the other person. So we see this contrast, right? At times, we're called to confront, to show someone you know, where they're sinning, to point them back to Christ, so, to, you know, so hopefully they'll be repenting. But then, not, not just that, I also need to come alongside you, ask you what your burdens are, what your struggles are. I'm called to empathize with you. I'm called to sympathize with you, cry with you, and to support you and be there for you any way that I can. And so I think it's, it's both ends there. I want to meet with you. I want to consider who you are. But as I consider who you are, if, it's, if I'm called to confront, I want to confront you. But if I'm called to support you and encourage you and love you in that way, that is what I'm called to do. And I'm going to give my time, my effort, and to be able to be there for you. Now, I think a lot of times churches tend to be good at one or the other. I've been in churches that are all about stirring up. Right? They, they love to confront. It's not always done with love, but you're just always told, you sinner, right? Like, what's wrong with you? And people point out to you and they show you your flaws, your call to repentance. And I've been in other churches where it's all about encouragement. Nobody even talks about sin. Nobody even talks about, you know, there's no, rebuking is, it's like a dirty word. Nobody wants to do it. Nobody wants to hear it. And it's all about, I want to encourage you. I want to pray for you. I want to empathize with you. I want to be compassionate. I want to just be there for you. And biblically, what we're seeing is we're called to do both. We're called to stir up, to confront but also we're called to come alongside and to love you in that way. And so I'm praying that as a church, that would be the kind of church we are, where we are meeting together, not just, just to, for the sake of getting to meeting together, to have meaningful discussions and conversations, to support each other, right, to have a sense of belonging together, but as we're growing in that, we want to consider one another when they ask how each other are doing and really get to know each other, know the person, know their situations, and then really to stir up, to confront the times, but also to really encourage, to be there for one another, to support each other, to do what? And lastly, we're called to love and good works. And that's important. We're encouraging each other. We're supporting each other. We're stirring each other up. Why? So that we'll be a church that is filled with love, a community that is filled with love, but also a community that is filled with good work. Because love, right, is a commitment, but it's also at least to an action. It's one thing for me to say to somebody, I love you. It's another thing for me to show it with the things that I do. And in the church community, not only do I want to meet with you and consider you, and not only do I want to speak into your life, but I want to practically show that love with good works. Practically show Christ and his love to you 
through the good works. So I think one thing, for example, that I think our church does very well is in, in doing that, in practical, practically speaking, is just providing meals for people in need. I know when our family first got here and when we you know, had Joey in the midst, in the beginning of the pandemic, just having people in our church that drop by food, drop off food during that time after having a baby, especially in that you know, beginning of the pandemic stages, was a huge blessing. It is a very practical way of saying, I love you. And that's not the only thing. You could do many different ways. It could be a practical good works of love. It could be just listening to another person, just being a good ear, obviously praying for a person, right? And then we could just go on and on of different actions we can take, again, considering the needs that might be there. But are we a church that is filled with love and good works? Are we hungry, right? Are we desiring to look at one another and to ask ourselves, how can I bless you today? How can I show you Christ's love today? How can I do a good work, a compassionate work, an act of kindness so that you could feel a little bit more of the love of Christ? I just want to give one example, just my own life. I remember my college days. I remember my freshman year in college, I just... I think typically, you know, this happens a lot in freshman year of college. You go to college and you thought you were a strong Christian and then you go into your freshman year and you get kind of lost. You go, you go a little astray. I think that was me. And I remember for the first time in my life, I, you know, I'm a PK, so I, I didn't know what it meant to not go to church on a Sunday. Even when I was sick, my mom would, would bring me to church and say, God will make you better. He will bless you, right, being in church when you're sick. And that was kind of how I grew up. And, you know, for the first time, I think, in my life, I felt like I, I missed a Sunday service because I was hanging out too late on a Saturday. Then I missed another one. And then, you know, you kind of get into a pattern. You, you don't, the, initially, that guilt is very strong. But then the guilt seems to just kind of wear off. And I remember just questioning my faith, having so many doubts, just going through a lot of different things. And then to make it all worse, I got very, very sick. Very, very sick. And, and I remember missing my mother a lot because... When I was sick, usually it was her that would take care of me. And then one day, a sister from uh, the Christian Fellowship calls me uh, in my dorm room, and she says, hey, James, I heard you're very sick. And I said, I am. And she said, I would like you to come over. Uh, she had like, a little sweet, you know, and I wanted to just kind of make some food for you and make you feel better. And I, you know, I didn't want to walk all day over there, so I said, no, it's okay, I'm fine. And then she said, well, I'm sure you haven't had Korean food, but I'll make you some Korean food. And then I felt much stronger all of a sudden. I said, I'll be there. What is it? And she said, it's uh, some bulgogi and kimchi jjigae, right? So, so just meat, obviously, and uh, kimchi stew. And, and so I, I just got my coat, and I walked 10 minutes in the cold. And I remember I walked over there just thinking about all this Korean food. Because, you know, in college, all you do is eat dining hall food, which was not that great. And I got there. I could, you know, my nose was all stuffed up, but I could smell the kimchi coming right out of the the door, and I remember I was so excited, I went in, and she was talking to me, but I didn't hear a thing she said, because I was so busy eating, because I was so hungry, and I was so happy just to eat this, and I remember walking back to my dorm and realizing something that day, I said, this sister barely knew me, she was a junior, I was a freshman, we had talked a few times in the, you know, in the college fellowship, but it wasn't like we were all that close, and yet I said, what would make her want to bless me like that? What would make her want to go out of her way to call this freshman who she doesn't even know that well to cook for me and to bless me and pray for me and feed me? 
And I remember that day just really being reminded of Christ's love. It was like a physical way that she just reminded me of Christ's love, and I could just, just really, I was just blessed. And I was reminded of his sacrifice and his love just by the actions of one sister, and it made me go back to that Christian fellowship and get much more involved, and, and it made me just want to know more, to be around other Christians more. And I share this, all that to say, I pray that we would be a church that does meet often, that has substance in our meetings, that we would consider one another and really stir up and encourage one another to love and to good works. But we do this because we're looking at our brothers and sisters not, not in a selfish way, but really in a Christ-like way. And what I mean by that is this. We're able to consider and to stir up and to encourage and to do love, to do good works, because instead of seeing the other person as a means for myself to get what I want, I'm valuing the other person as a gift in my life. I'm being motivated by what's in their best interest. Because right? often in our relationships, what do we do? We think the other person exists to serve me, to serve my needs. But in a church community, in a Christian community, what I'm saying is, you are God's image bearer. You are a child of God. Your identity is a, a son or daughter of God. And I want to cherish you and love you and value you as God loves and values you. And that's why I want to serve you the way I do. But how do I do that? And that only is possible when I am reminded of who I am in Christ. See, in this passage before this verse 24 and 25, it actually talks about what Christ has done. It talks about how we have confidence to enter the holy place because of Christ's blood. It talks about how we can draw near with, with our hearts. It talks about God's faithfulness and the assurance that we have. And here's the point. When I know how cherished, how loved, how blessed I am because of what Christ has done for me in my life. And then when I see my brothers and sisters around me and I realize how loved, how cherished they are because they are also God's sons, God's daughters, they are God's children. Then my heart says, as I have been loved and as you were loved because of Christ's work, I now want to be a part of that and I want to love you as Christ has loved me, as Christ has loved you. And my prayer is that then we will be that kind of community, community that is blown away and amazed by Christ's love and his work, and that we can look at each other and honor and value one another and say, how can I bless you? And we could be a community then that meets together, trying to bless each other, that considers one another, that stirs up and encourages one another, to do love and good works, and actually does love and good works for one another because of all that we have received in Christ. Let us pray. Father, we thank you and we praise you. Father, we look at this passage and we're reminded 
to meet together, to consider one another, to really love each other by stirring up each other to do good works, to encourage one another, to bless each other. And we pray that as we are reminded again how blessed we are truly in Christ, that we will continuously seek to obviously worship you, but also seek to bless and encourage and love our brothers and our sisters in Christ in our community. We thank you. We praise you. And in Jesus' name we pray.